Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would, please, and turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and if you would also go ahead and find the Great Commission in Matthew 28 in your Bibles. Little different message this morning than I normally preach, not quite the typical expository messages, a message in some ways that I would, I would preach. And so I do want you to understand that this morning. Uh, I'll have a very lengthy introduction, uh, followed by two points, but don't get excited about just two points. Um, you know what I can do with one point. There's, there's th- three points on your outline. I realize that we'll probably only get through two of them. But anyway, if you would find um, these different sections of your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, then also Matthew 28. I want you to listen to Dr. Al Moeller for a moment. Al Moeller is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Listen to a statement that he has made. He says, while America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home. Biblical illiteracy in the church. This scandalous problem is our own and it's up to us to fix it. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Costelli put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. How bad is it? Researchers tell us it's worse than most could imagine. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. And those identified as conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical, born-again Christians did a little bit better with that question by 1%. A Barner poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Dr. Billy Graham. Moeller concludes, and I didn't share everything he had to say about this, but he concludes, how can a generation be biblically shaped in its understanding of human sexuality when it believes Sodom and Gomorrah to be a married couple? No wonder Christians show a growing tendency to compromise on the issue of homosexuality. Many who identify themselves as Christians are similarly confused about the gospel itself. Listen to what he says here. An individual who believes that God helps those who help themselves will find salvation by grace and justification by faith to be utterly alien concepts. 
Folks, I want to talk to you about something this morning that will impact us as a church on Sunday nights for 34 weeks. It's not something that's going to change anything else about our church or our church schedule. Sunday morning's still the same. Wednesday night's still the same. All of our other church ministries, still the same. Just talking about expanding our discipleship program on Sunday night to cover something that I want to address this morning. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I got a question for you this morning. Let me pick somebody in the congregation. We all love to pick on David Fink. David Fink. What if, I got a question for David and for you. If David Fink were to go out of here today and win 1,000 people to faith in Jesus Christ today, boy, now that'd be impressive, wouldn't it? And what if he were to do that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, seven days a week, 365 days in the year, and he were to do that every single year. A thousand people that he wins to faith in Jesus Christ every single day. Question. How long would it take him to get the gospel to the world? Talk to me this morning. Anybody, venture, anybody want to venture a guess? 100 years? Could he do it in 100 years? No? Come on. Talk. Five, 20 years? Okay. Okay. Hang on to that number. Anybody, 500 years, 1,000 years? Seems like he'd be able to do it in 5,000 years, right? 10,000 years. It would take him 20,200 years to get the gospel to the world. 1,000 people a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, never letting up. It would take him over 20,000 years to get the gospel to the world. You think he looks bad now. Imagine how bad he would look at the end of... <laughs> Another question for you, though. Suppose David were to choose one person this year that he was going to invest his life in and he was going to pour the gospel into that person and he was going to disciple them. And David and this one other person decided that next year they were going to do the same. And so two of them this year would become four next year. And then the third year, four would become eight and eight, 16, and so forth and so on. Now, another question for you. How long would it take to get the gospel to the entire world? 32 years. 32 years. 
not 20,200 years, 32 years. Is it any wonder that Jesus commanded us go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Folks, I think any honest assessment of the church in America today would conclude that in many ways the church is in retreat. We've got a problem. We're not winning the lost. Nationwide, as the evangelical community, pollsters tell us that we are not even maintaining our own. Now, I'm speaking of nationwide numbers here, not any kind of local numbers, because obviously Christianity in little isolated pockets and isolated local churches doing very well. But overall, overall, we're being told that we're in reverse. Just read a new book out entitled The Rise of the Nuns. And I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm talking about nuns spelled N-O-N-E-S. The Rise of the Nuns. Giving's down nationwide. Mission groups are in retreat. It would appear on the surface that we've got a problem. And one-on-one -on -one with people, it does not appear that we are doing a very good job. We're waiting on a pastor to do it or a staff member, a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon. We're waiting on somebody else to do the task. Essentially, we have changed all the personalities of the Great Commission around. We need to understand today the Great Commission was not given simply to one group of Christians. It was given to each and every one of us. In fact, Ephesians 4 tells me that I am to be equipping you to accomplish the Great Commission as I come alongside with you, of course. Now what we see happening in the world today to some degree may be signs of the times. After all, Jesus said in the end, the love of many would wax cold. The Bible talks about a falling away. And so maybe what's happening today across America is some people are fulfilling prophecy and they don't even realize it. But this doesn't mean that because that's happening nationwide, we just do nothing about it and sit down and give up. There's a peculiarity about the church today that I think is both scary and exciting. The scary thing about our generation is that somebody will not necessarily come to church just because you invite them. Now there was a day you could say y'all come and they would come. I've told you before about my mother-in-law who passed away three years ago at age 87. She tells about being a preacher's wife back in the 1950s. She said we could put a sign in the front yard of the church and say revival in two weeks nightly and all the community would come. The Methodists would come. The Presbyterians would come. Even the lost would come to hear the gospel and get saved. She said then the next month the Methodists could put the same sign in their uh, front yard, advertise revival nightly. And she said we would all go down there again, all of us this time, the Baptists, Presbyterians, whoever, even the lost would go again to hear the gospel and get saved. But today it amazes me all that's going on in churches around us. Everything that's happening, sometimes the deacons don't even show up. And I'm picking on the deacons, they pick on me, it's in love. 
But my point is, coming here doesn't work. And that's scary. It's a bit scary to me to think that all over America, if people drive by churches and learn more about ministries going on, it doesn't phase them. Sunday is now a time to go out for brunch, to go to the kids' softball tournament or soccer tournament or baseball games or, or just sleep in and do nothing. In the summertime, it's just another yard work day. Don't believe me? Drive through your neighborhood. Sunday and the concept of this is the Lord's day, this is the day that we get up and go to worship. It's one day in the week that we show gratitude and appreciation for what God has done in our life. This, that, that time would, would appear to be in many ways in many minds past. But the exciting thing about this is that the Great Commission is right back in your lap and my lap. And if you think about it, that's where Jesus started with it. If you think about it, his culture didn't even know yet what the church was. They wouldn't know that to the day of Pentecost. Jesus didn't say come and hear. Rather, he said go and tell. It's interesting too, folks, that while the lost will not come and hear, they are reporting even among the nuns that I mentioned a moment ago. They themselves are saying that if you and I will go to Starbucks with them or Cracker Barrel with them or Pizza Hut with them or wherever you want to go with if you will take them there and sit down and explain your faith and your conversion and, and what you believe it means, to what you believe the Bible means to be a Christian, even those that we say will never listen, they themselves are saying, oh yes we will. We would love to have a Christian sit down with us one-on-one -on -one and explain more of their faith to us. They claim they're open to that. One-on-one -on -one in a relationship with somebody they know, a friend at school, a neighbor, a co-worker, they're saying we wish somebody would tell us what you believe. Let's also remember the Great Commission. Jesus didn't just say go and tell. He said go and make disciples. I want you to think about that. Another question for you this morning. What if I were to say to you this morning, here's a name. Over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, I want you to sit down with this person and disciple them from the very beginning elements of the Christian faith. What it means to be a believer, what conversion means, and take them all the way through, help them grow in Christ, give them all the tools they need so they can finally understand their ministry, their mission, and they're ready to go out and, and serve the Lord. Would you do that? And my fear is that would scare many of us to death. Some would say, Pastor, I can sit down with somebody a week or two, share my testimony, talk to them about prayer, talk to them about um, the end of times, talk to them about whatever, a number of subjects. But what you're asking me to do, sit down, disciple somebody, be a mentor to them, and carry them through the full gamut of the Christian life and help them to be grounded and ready to go out and do the same, Pastor, I don't know that I could do that. And you know what that means? 
that means that I've got a problem. Because Ephesians 4 tells me as a pastor that I am supposed to equip you to be able to do something like that. And so if you can't do something like that, then that's a reflection on me. And that brings me to my subject today. We want to do something in 2016 that will extend into 2017. And that's why we're asking you this morning to give us 34 weeks. That's all. 34 weeks. And you know how fast 34 weeks goes by. We just came through the Christmas holidays. And I don't know if you're like me, but it'll seem like three months from now, here we'll, here we'll be getting ready for Christmas all over again. Seems like time clicks by that fast. If that's 52 weeks, can you imagine how fast 34 weeks would go? We want, to exp we want to expand on Sunday nights what we've already been doing on Sunday nights with our discipleship training program. We're asking that on Sunday nights for one hour you commit 34 weeks. It won't be 34 weeks straight. It'll be in five and six week segments with time built in between and where we'll do much of what we already do on Sunday nights. If you're a visitor or not a member yet, we would love to have you join us in this. The youth will be doing this in their Bible studies on Thursday and Friday mornings. We're asking you to go through the 34 weeks of being discipled from baby steps in the Christian life, understanding conversion. How can you share with somebody what the Christian life means? What's the beginning step of the Christian life mean? What does it mean to be born again and a follower of Christ? And then helping them to grow in Christ, helping them to learn about serving and their gifts and their mission and ministry to the world. And so it is a look at the entire Christian life from beginning to end in somebody life we want to do it in small groups all over the campus with leaders facilitators I want to ask you another question this morning when you initially got saved raise your hand if somebody in the church took the time to sit down with you and disciple you personally raise your hand if that happened anybody one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I see fifteen hands go up that somebody took the time to do this. Tells me we've got work to do. If nobody ever did that with you, this is going to be a neat experience because you're going to, this, you're going to go through this. For some of you, it, it'll, it'll be old hat, but that's okay too because in the Christian life, in the Word of God, we continue to go over things we already know. It's like Paul said to one of his churches, for me to say the same thing to you again is not a burden to me and it is beneficial for you. Why do we seem to be fixated on this at this time? Because of what is going on in the world and in the church and folks this is what Jesus commanded the church and it's also what Jesus commanded church leaders to do 
And our hope is that all over this campus as people do this, the cream will rise to the top and there will be people equipped to go out and do this with your neighbors and coworkers and friends and it could start something. As Kevin Seeger told me the other week, he said, Scott, if our folks caught on to this and actually did it and took this out and impacted the world, it could be a game changer for our church ministry. Indeed it could. Listen again what Paul said here in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. First thing I want you to jot down in your notes this morning is there is the faith once delivered to the saints. There is the faith once delivered to the saints. Folks, there is not some secret material that the apostles dealt with under the cover of darkness. Timothy had been with Paul on his missionary journeys. Remember Acts chapter 16 when Paul started his first missionary journey? He went through some one particular town and they said, Hey, have you heard about this young man named Timothy? We think he's got real potential to go with you. And Paul took Timothy and had him circumcised because his father was a Greek and they were going to be going to some Jewish areas and it'd be a problem. So he had him circumcised. But remember who it was that had discipled Timothy? It was his grandmother and his mother that had made all the difference in his life. And then Timothy joined Paul. And so that means that Timothy heard firsthand the message, the gospel message that Paul preached. And not just Timothy, but lots of people heard Paul preach the gospel multitudes. Already the Christian message was being shaped into a definite corpus, body of material. The Christian message was distinct from the Jewish message many of them had heard. It grew out of that because the new covenant is based on the old. It grows out of, it fulfills the old covenant. So it, there's continuity, but there's also a difference. The Christian gospel, the new covenant fulfills the old. And likewise, it was distinct from the pagan message. Now, generally today, we define a pagan as anyone who does not adhere to one of the major world religions. Now, of course, we want them to be Christians. We want to present the gospel to them. But a pagan is defined in 2016 basically as somebody who's not a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew is defined as a pagan. But however we define it today in these towns in the first century around the Roman Empire, often local deities and idols were worshipped. Tons of different local deities and idols. Many times the religions of, of the time that Paul and Timothy ran into were little more than nature cults or sex cults. And some bizarre and weird things would go on in them. 
And Paul came with the gospel message. Remember what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day in accordance to the scriptures. That's the heart and core of the gospel right there. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his death for your sin and my sin. Christ came into a very dark world and he gave his life as a ransom for sin. Jesus spoke about the exclusivity of his message. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, that right there shows us how important the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that is the only hope for the dark and dying world that we live in. There is no other hope for this lost world. It was a new message that grew out of the old and it was an exclusive message. And Paul reminds Timothy here that that's the message that he heard. And he heard it in the presence of many witnesses. Have you ever considered what a privilege it is to have been able to hear the gospel? And Paul points out here that the gospel has no hidden elements to it whatsoever. Timothy, you've heard out in the open everything I've taught. You, you've heard it all. You and I need to be aware of anybody that knocks on our door and says, hey, I've got a new message that nobody else knows. I want to give you some insight or something into this or that. You need to be aware of that. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said when they came to arrest Jesus at night. He said, what, do you not realize I've been with you daily in the temple in broad daylight from day to day? You've been there with me. You've heard what I've had to teach. Nothing's been done under the cover of darkness. Why are you coming like this? Everything about Christianity, everything about the Bible is laid out there for the world to see and understand. Here's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we tell that message. It's a message, Paul says here, it's a faith delivered to the saints and it has a very specific and particular content. Everything walking around that claims to be Christian isn't. There's a specific content. And Paul told Timothy in chapter 1 that he needed to hang on to that content. He needed to guard it. It is a treasure. But while there's this glorious gospel that we are to guard, we aren't to keep it to ourselves. Secondly, there's the faith once delivered to the saints that is to be passed on. That is to be passed on. 
He says in verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The body of Christian doctrine was settled, but it wasn't to be secret. It isn't intended to be for us four and no more as the old saying goes. Timothy is to pass it along to reliable men or faithful men. Now, folks, I want you to think with me a moment of that description because, you see, it's not only the United States Marine Corps that is looking for a few good men. Timothy was to find a few good men. He was to find reliable men, faithful men. Now, let me ask you another question. Isn't everybody who hears the gospel in that category? Oh, if that were only the case. Just take time to read Jesus' parable of the talents. He gave to one five, to one two, to one one. Were they all faithful? No, only two of them were. The other one squandered everything away. Not everybody's faithful. Not everybody's reliable. But the Bible teaches us that we are to be stewards of the gospel. Timothy was to find faithful and reliable men and pass the gospel on to them. A question we ought to all ask ourselves, including me, is am I a faithful man or a woman that God can entrust with the gospel? We also see an important truth here that the gospel travels along relationships. Yes, we see cases in the book of Acts where there's mass evangelism and the speaker really doesn't know the audience. But we also see in the book of Acts and the epistles of the gospel traveling along relationships, more personal relationships, families being impacted, individuals. I think of Philip being called to go out in the wilderness and come alongside of the Ethiopian eunuch. I think of Simon Peter going to the house of Cornelius and witnessing to him and his family. I think of all the elders that Paul left behind in the different churches that he planted and he left those elders there so that they would develop relationships with the people and be a shepherd to them and teach them and disciple them on the gospel relationships I realize a lone figure can be sitting in a hotel room broken and open up the bedside uh, cabinet and take out a Gideon Bible and sit there and read that Gideon Bible and the Holy Spirit's working on his or her heart and all by themselves with nobody in the room but them and the Holy Spirit working on them that person can be converted and praise God for that but usually it's along the lines of relationships somebody is investing their life in you it might have been a pastor it might have been a Sunday school teacher it might have been a parent or a grandparent or somebody you know at school that impacted you with the gospel. Relationships. One of our new deacons two Sunday nights ago gave the illustration of when Dathan Hall was, was saved. He worked at the time at E-Trade over in Charlotte. He got all his co-workers together. And here on this campus on Thursday nights, they started studying the Scripture together. And Dathan started evangelizing them and also discipling them. He was doing both. And Cole Connor was one of those. Cole worked with Dathan. He had made a profession of faith as a child, but as they studied and interacted in that small group he came to realize he had never been born again and Cole gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ and now he's one of our deacons 
relationships. We're to entrust the gospel to others. We're to evangelize them and disciple them. Who are you impacting? Who am I impacting? Is there anybody that you and I are passing the gospel along to? Is there anybody right now you're praying for? Anybody right now that you're witnessing to? Anybody you're trying to reach? And you see, it doesn't stop there. Notice what Paul told Timothy. These reliable men themselves are to pass it on and teach others. You see, it's a never-ending thing. It's one impacting one, two impacting two, four impacting four, so forth and so on. In other words, we aren't intended to just simply come in here. We are to engage with those around us and share the gospel because the truth of the matter is, Each of us in here this morning has a circle of influence. There are people that I can impact, you can't, and people you can impact, I can't. People you can impact, the person on the pew in front of you can't impact, but you can. Dr. George W. Truett, longtime pastor of First Baptist Dallas, Texas, gave the illustration of a couple in his church one time who went through the terrible tragedy of a miscarriage, and they were brokenhearted. They'd prayed so long for a child. And he ministered to them and he saw God heal them. Wasn't long before there was a lost couple in their community who went through the same experience. Somebody in the church got word to Dr. Truett, you need to go around and minister to this couple. They've had a miscarriage. He went around, he went around, went around, went around, tried to minister to them, got nowhere. And this couple in his church that had been through that experience, they said, Pastor, if you will get out of our way and let us do it, we think we can reach them. They ended up reaching them with the gospel. That lost couple came to faith in Jesus Christ, got involved in that church, and they discipled them. Relationships. What we want to do is equip you, equip you so you would be able to evangelize and disciple somebody. A year from now, five years from now, a child, a grandchild, a co-worker, somebody that God puts in your path, you would have the tool, not only the material because you're going to have that, but you've also had the experience of going through it and doing it yourself. And so you would be ready and equipped. You wouldn't have to say, whoa, I'm not sure I could do that. That's scary. That's fearful. You would have the tools that you need to do it. If you come as a part of our discipleship program looking for Roman candles and flashing lights and this and that and the other, you're not going to get that. It's going to be the nitty-gritty grind of us going through discipleship together. The curriculum we've selected is called the Disciples Path. It's just a tool. There's lots of tools. Lifeway got some of the best and brightest together across this nation. One of the names some of you recognize, he used to be the preaching pastor at Hickory Grove. People loved him, Stephen, Dr. Stephen Rummage, now down at Bell Shoals in Florida. He's one of those. Got a big team together and said, design a comprehensive discipleship strategy that is usable for the church, that carries people from A to Z through the Christian life. 
and they can use. It's in segments. We'll, we'll look at the beginning, five weeks, very first steps of, of a believer. What does it mean to be born again? What's it mean to be a Christian? How do I get started in the Christian life? Then the way, five weeks. How do I grow more in my intimacy with Christ? Thirdly, the call, uh, six weeks, your new identity in Christ, what it means to be adopted into God's family and all that comes with that. And then the truth, six weeks, learning key doctrines. We don't talk much about doctrine in the church anymore, do we, sadly? The life, uh, that'll be key disciplines in the believer's life. And then the mission, joining God in His work. Again, could be a game changer because we do little snippets of this here and there, but where do we where do we do this in the church that we equip somebody from A to Z? And that's what we want to fix. So that you and I individually, not only corporately, so that individually you and I can be more of a mission force in this dark world. And we want to take all excuses away. Pastor, I can't do that. You'll be able to do that. Read with me quickly the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, you know it well, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Could Christ have been any more clear? We're a worshiping community, but we are to be a discipled and discipling community. Amen? Folks, I've chosen Sunday morning to address what we're getting ready to do over the next year on Sunday nights to expand our discipleship program because we believe it's that important especially as we read statistics about the church today, we believe it's that important. Kevin's begun enlisting facilitators. Some of you probably already been contacted. We pray that you give serious consideration to that. We need lots of people to help us in this. Folks, can you imagine what God could do. What could God do with the group of people ready, equipped, prepared to sit down and evangelize those in our circles of influence? And those we evangelize were able to sit down and work with them and help them to be grounded in the Christian faith. What could God do with the church body doing that? 
If we're going to reach even our city and our county, we've got to multiply our efforts. Can't just be leaders. Can't be a few. It's got to be more of us. We're just simply asking, let us equip you. We believe you will have a tool for your life that can help you for the rest of your life to reach and minister to people for Christ. To be on mission with God in a dark world. We want to ask you to be a part of this. Would you stand please? We started out at the beginning of the service in a prayer time praying for somebody in this service who might need Christ in their life. If that's you and the Spirit of God has been working in your life, you come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Our staff would love to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home where you can worship and grow together and pray together and encourage one another, you come forward. We'd like to be that church. If you're dealing with a matter in your life, the altar's open. Here at Pitts, if you feel led to come forward publicly in a service and kneel at the altar, you can do that. You don't have to, but you can if you feel that need. As we sing our hymn of invitation, let's ask ourselves, God, what do you want to say to me? What work are you doing in my life? What do you want to do? Lord, I want to surrender to you in that.